Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks so much for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you would like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morningsun underscore fellow traveler, or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you. Hello, everybody. I am joined today by Kate Boyd. How are you doing? Yeah. Today? Hi. I'm I'm pretty good. I apologize for the allergy voice. Um, it's the end of the day, and apparently there's a cedar fever thing here in texas happening <laughs> and and i and i fall into that category so i sound a little strained but i feel fine <laughs> funny up here it's cold we just had wintry snowy storm here in massachusetts oh really but yeah it's it's texas. like i'm in texas um and i mean right now it's 72 degrees so <laughs> it's wow. a little bit different yeah that's a very warm. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. That's weird for January. It's a little too warm for January even. What part of Texas are you from? I'm in are the you? Dallas area. Oh, wow. Is that central kind of? It is north-ish Texas, okay, like north. north central. Yeah. You're out in cornfields and nothing. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of fields. There's a bit of fields. Yeah. If you go Tornado. east, there's a bit of green and like cattle and stuff like that. Um, I'm in the Dallas area, so it's a lot of like city and suburb um stuff oh, yeah. where I am. But warm ish. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Well, it actually isn't that cold here. It's only like in the forties, so that's only in the forties. It's not bad. Yeah, that's not so bad. We actually haven't had that much snow this winter so far, which is kind of depressing. I like the snow. But anyway, uh, welcome to the fellow traveler. It's I've been uh, excited to have you on. Um, this is my second interview today. I just had a great talk with Shane Claiborne, and and you're next. So, <laughs> oh wow, so anyway, that's a tough um, act to follow. <laughs> no, 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 no. He is no. I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like. I especially am glad to have you because it's nice to hear more women's voices. So far, I've had mostly men, which is unfortunate, you know, and. If you know I have any leads, let me know. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I've been following you for a few years on Instagram. You have quite the cool page where you share a lot of your faith journey with faith and doubt. And and right now you are in seminary. Am I wrong? No, you're right. I am in seminary. Excellent. Where are you going? I am at SMU's Perkins School of Theology, um, and I'm studying 
I mean, it's a smaller degree. It's not like an MDiv, which is like a pastoral thing. It's sort of like a, a slightly smaller degree, um, but it's uh, at least in time, like years. Um, <clears throat> and I'm focusing on biblical studies. So that's super cool. So you've been spending the past couple of years studying the Bible. Is this, How many years are you in it now? Um, I'm on the real slow track. My degree should only take two years if you're able to go full time, but I'm entering or I'm in my third. I think I should finish up in this coming December if all stays on oh, track. Great. Yeah. Wow. Nice. And then what else do you do when you're not in school? Mm, I work full time. <laughs> um, and, oh, really? uh, yeah. And I do, which is why I'm on the slow track. Um, and I, I do communications work. Yeah. And, um, like for, so I work at SMU and I do communications work in some of their like events depart in one of their events departments. And then, yeah. And then the rest of the time I hang out online and, um, talk to people and teach people stuff. And that's, that's, that's me. Wow. What, what are you learning about these days? What's, What's something that's been on your mind in the oh, Bible? Oh man, what hasn't been on my mind? Um, I so I just wrapped up. Well, it's kind of hard because I feel like I've just done a lot of output um in the last mm -hmm. six months between I mean, I wrote a book over the summer and I've been editing it over the last few months and then had a lot of hard like some hard classes in the fall, um, finished up Hebrew. And so there's just a lot of um, you know, little things, it's not anything really big, but a lot of sort of like subtle little, um, stuff, just trying to sort of like adjust myself back to like being creative and finding rhythms that are probably healthier than I've had the last six months. So that's really like the main thing that's sort of on my mind is making sure that, you know, I think about my body as much as I think about my mind, um, <clears throat> which is, theological as much as you know anything else and so that's been kind of a focus for me yeah going into the new year it's like how do I focus on being a whole person and not just really pushing part of me over the other parts you know it's a great topic because like you know for me I I'm sure you may have had similar experiences but like in some forms of evangelicalism there's kind of this concept that like, well, the body doesn't really matter. We're going to die and go up and live in heaven as disembodied. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Jesus is coming soon anyway. So, and, and he's going to take us away. So we better don't care about your body, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Bad theology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually have a whole chapter on this because it's one of the things that like really, um, sort of like rocked my world I feel like sort of coming to that realization through a variety of things but just sort of like I think like you I so I grew up um not in charismatic circles like you did we were we're still evangelical but I grew up mostly like southern baptist-ish or SBC adjacent and in a lot of ways and um yeah it was sort of the same thing everything was about like souls winning souls caring for souls and it's not that like physical things didn't matter, but if we were, if we were picking ministries, we were prioritizing by spiritual needs over physical ones. Um, but yeah, that's sort of like not how it works. Like, I think, 
I think potentially like if you're trying to rank needs, you might be able to say the spiritual needs are the best are like higher in importance, but I, I don't think we're actually meant to separate them at all. Um, and so that's been something I've really had to reckon with over the last few years, because that's very foreign to sort of like the DNA of the spirituality I grew up with. And so I've had to sort of like work myself into that too. And as a person who's like very head centered anyway, um, like it's really easy for me to just not think about my body. Um, unfortunately now as I get older, my body demands to be listened to much more strongly. And so I want to, I want to honor that. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. So don't mind my cat just chilling here with us. Yeah. (laughs) So you grew up in SBG adjacent Southern Baptist ish. Did you always live in Texas? Pretty much. Yeah. There was like a short stint when I was like really, really young that we lived in Oklahoma, but I basically lived in Texas, probably within the same like hour radius for my whole life. Cool. Wow. Yeah. So what, tell me about, I mean, the term I use and then some of my listeners might be getting sick of it, but it's just, it's always my, my um, starting point with these conversations is the concept of spiritual heritage. And mm-hmm. some, I, some of my uh, people I've talked to have taken it so far as to talk about even their ancestors. Like what, what were your, what were your parents and your grandparents and their, their parents, what was their spirituality like? And it, it almost seems like that it also, it also gets passed down in generationally in some mm-hmm. sense, way, shape or form. But you can tell me a little bit about what was your experience in, in the that tradition and um, were there any experiences within that, that um, kind of rooted you in your faith and kept you going or, you know, and of course we can get into the topic of how at some point you, you kind of come to a crossroads and you have to say, well, there's some things I'm going to have to shed off if I want to stay here. If I want to stay in this faith, if I want to grow at all, there's some things I got to prune off the tree, you know, but yeah, share, share a little bit about that. Yeah. So I would say like the parents of my parents were Methodist um and uh like even to the point that my dad's dad actually like taught and worked at the seminary that I go to now which is kind of fun um just like happy accident in my life that I was able to do that and um so that was sort of like part of if we went to church when I was very very young and I don't remember us doing that super often but I was also just very very young so um cuz they divorced when I was like 5 so um don't remember a lot of that, but I know that they were very Methodist. And then with my mom, we sort of like bounced around to different traditions in our town. We did like, you know, Methodist or Disciples of Christ or um, Baptist and Bible churches. We sort of like hopped around to all of them. Um, But sometime around fourth grade, I think we ended up um, in more Southern Baptist circles. And I think that's largely because we ended up going to the Christian school in our town. Um, that was affiliated with the Southern Baptist Church. Um, and so we kind of ended up in those circles. And and that, so I would say that's sort of like the faith that raised me, essentially. Like it taught me theology. It taught me how to study the Bible. It taught me how to pray and relate to God, um, sometimes in unhealthy ways. But uh, I'm, I'm actually very grateful for that foundation. I think it has served me really well. And I appreciate a lot about that. Um 
but yeah, when I, I, and so I would say like all the way through college and even I'm actually a seminary dropout too. I went to seminary right out of college, um, to an evangelical seminary. And, um, you know, I talk a little bit about that sometimes about how, like, when I went then I really wanted like more answers. I was like really into apologetics. I wanted to know like all the objections, all the things so that I could just like never, so I could be completely certain about everything. And, um, and so I just sort of like compartmentalized Christianity as this one sort of expression that I experienced and this one set of beliefs that I held to, um, at whatever tier of belief that was. And so I was really there until, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, if even that long ago, it's probably been about 10 years. I'm 37 now. So it was definitely my late twenties. Um, and yeah, I ended up at a job where I, um, did marketing for a small missions agency in the Dallas area. And eventually part of my job was to actually like go overseas and go with like a documentary crew and capture some of what was happening on the ground and like the stories of people's lives changed and what ministry looked like there. And, um, they were very much a like local led ministry. Like they would have missionaries, but the goal was really to like put the church in the locals hands in order to like rapidly multiply, um, the church in a place. And, just sort of like seeing how believers in other contexts um, worshipped both together, like, you know, corporately in, in worship, but also like worshipped with their lives and lived in a way that, you know, followed Christ every day, really sort of like rocked my world um, in a, in a lot of great ways. And the more I went, the more I was challenged. And, and that's sort of what started me on like, the path to diverge a little bit was just sort of like seeing some of the ways in which either beliefs or actions either weren't reconcilable to a global experience or just like didn't match up with these people that, you know, had this like genuine, deep, very faithful practice of following Jesus. And so it sort of made me had to like reckon with some of my American evangelical experience. Yeah, that is so, um, that is one of those eye-opening things that when you realize, oh, Christianity I was brought up in isn't how, necessarily how Christianity has looked for 1,500 to 2,000 years. Also, it's not how all other people worship too. It's like, it's so interesting um, and liberating also to realize that there's this, uh, diversity of expression of Christian spirituality and that's a big reason why I started this podcast to hear hear those stories and it, there's a wide spectrum all over the place but yeah, yeah I mean so tell tell me a little bit about that that experience overseas what did you what did you witness that really is there anything specifically you can remember that really struck you or was poignant oh man I think there were a lot of things but I what I really sort of have like this distinct impression of if I were to like sort of put them all together was just this like sincere devotion and like commitment to Jesus like 
I feel like here I sort of like arranged my service to Jesus around the other things in my life. And I think that's partly a product of our society and a whole bunch of other factors. Um, but in a lot of other places, they arrange their lives around their service to Christ. And it just sort of like, so the ways in which, you know, maybe they didn't have jobs that made them as much money, but they could go off for weeks at a time to like share the gospel across the nation, or they could, you know, take care of their sick loved ones, or they could, you know, go visit people in the hospital every week. Like these were just sort of like things that felt so obvious and like normal and um, <clears throat> simple to them, but they were like things that never would have occurred to me. <laughs> like, and I, that sounds so silly because, you know, I was a church kid. I was raised in all of that, but I'd sort of like thought of faith as like a thing that you practice with your head. And this kind of goes back to what we we're talking about earlier with like wholeness and, and everything. And so it's sort of like, if I believe the right things, then I'm fine. But actually seeing people practice in a lot of ways in a different way and like with their everyday lives um, was just like super challenging. You know, I asked one of the women, like, why do you do all of that? How do you make time? Like, and that's sort of dangerous for you where you are to like do these things. And she just looked at me deadpan and was like, well, it's what Jesus told me to do. And I was like, oh, actually that's really simple. You know, it's, it, we, it's sort of like overcomplicated. And so I think that's definitely one of those things that, um, really stuck with me. And I would say like the other side of that was just sort of like church culture stuff, um, where it was, you know, reconciling different ways of practicing or different ways that the church can look, um, or how our rituals are practiced or how they would approach things like, leaders and teaching and just a whole bunch of things. And so I really just sort of like Even had they to read the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were some of these places you couldn't even have a Bible. Right. And so it was sort of like scandalous to have a Bible and not everybody would have one. They would have to like actually gather in order to be able to read it. And so it's sort of like, it's just a very different context in a lot of different places. And I sort of like I was reading Carolyn Custis James and she was talking about how we need um, a global conversation because the the Bible is global or is like meant to be global. And I was like, okay. So in my brain, a switch flipped and I was like, okay, if it's biblical, it must be global. Like whatever principles we're coming up with, whatever like hardline rules we're making, it has to work everywhere and it has to work for everyone. And it's one thing if we're saying it looks like this, here because we're in America and this makes sense for our society. It's another thing if we're saying this is the way it should be in all, in all places at all times, when that literally doesn't make any sense somewhere else. Um, and so yeah. using that filter has really sort of helped me in a lot of ways. And it's really just like a reason filter, right? Like you just sort of like factor in somebody else's experience, but it's like a reason thing. It's even the same thing about like talking about, you know, flesh is evil. Well, that doesn't make any sense because mm -hmm. Jesus was flesh. So like it can't inherently be evil, right? Like it doesn't. So we have to sort of like retool how we think about it because some things like faith can be reasonable. I do think there's a lot of mystery. There's probably a lot of things that I have wrong 
I get that. I'm not pretending to be an expert in everything. I'm really solid in my convictions because I worked really hard to get there. But I think there's a lot of, yeah, just a lot of lines that we draw that don't make sense outside of our bubble and outside of sort of the bubble of pseudo fundamentalism that I was a part of. And um, I really had to start expanding how I looked at everything because otherwise I would have to count the people that I knew who had such genuine faith um, as sinners, like for the things that they were doing that were different than me. And I, and maybe this is just mm. stubbornness on my part, but I sort of could not do that. I refused to do it in a lot of ways. And so I had to sort of like come up with a new way of thinking about my faith that made sense of what I saw there and what I mm. believe here and like putting them together. So you were de deconstructing before it was popular. Before it yeah, was there wasn't vocabulary <laughs> for it. And in some ways uh, it was kind of luxurious, right? Like I think, um, yeah. I think people who are going through it now have a lot more of the social upheaval, right? That's happening mm. at the same time. And for me, yeah. that happened much later. Like I did it sort of in isolation. Even my husband didn't mm. understand some of it, right? And we were working through that. But it was sort of, you know, the last few years, is it's been very different now. I sort of like deconstructed beliefs and then I sort of like deconstructed culture like mm -hmm. as, as over the last few years. And so I got to do it in pieces and I feel like people now are sort of doing it all at once. And that is really, really hard. Um, and it's really so hard. I, it's really painful. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And it's I, not a choice too. Like no, right. And that's sort of the thing. It, um, the past, yeah. My own, my own um, spiritual upheaval has been. It was forced upon me by, yeah. by seeing the George Floyd situation, by seeing the last administration, by seeing the result, by seeing January sixth, mm -hmm. by seeing stuff like that. I, it no longer worked. And I couldn't justify any of it. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, now what, you know, and, and yeah. then I've been spending the past two years trying to figure that out. And, and part of that has been having these kind of conversations. <clears throat> and now I'm just really interested in, I think, I think part of me is also interested in, there's almost like a, a pastoral, you know, sentiment in what I'm doing with this podcast too. It, not that I want to be a pastor or, but like the kind of pastoralness, like thinking about how can this help other people, you know? And yeah. And that's what I like about what you're doing on Instagram too, even though it's like, well, it's just the internet, but that, I mean, that's the ways and means of communication these days. Right. And here we are a, a Texan and a person from Massachusetts, like talking to each other because of that, you know? Yeah. And you bring, you bring up this concept. Uh, I don't know if you coined it, but this concept of the messy middle. Yeah. Did you make that up? Sort of. I mean, um, I would say messy middle Christian. Yes. I've sort of heard the term messy middle used in other contexts, but not necessarily in this one. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So you kind of re repurposed it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. What does what that, what does that mean to you? So I think in the middle of, so when you're presented with new information, whether that is, you know, spiritual or social, like all these different areas in which people are sort of, you know, disentangling themselves, you sort of find, I, I 
talk about in my book that there are like three responses. People will either just sort of like refuse to acknowledge the new information or just like call it false or fake and just double down on what they believe because it's comfortable. Um, some people will also like just demolish and say it's not worth it. And, and that's usually fair when they do that. Right. Cause there's a lot of, you know, hurt and trauma and pain that has come with a lot of that. And sometimes it is easier just to wipe it away than it is to, to sit in the mud for a lot longer because you sort of already feel buried. And I get that. And so I don't begrudge anybody that decision. Um, because I know that it, it was hard to even get to that point probably, You know, it's kind of an irony of, of a lot, and I don't want to blame victims because it's just not, it's not my heart. Don't take it that way. But what I want to say is there's almost a form of fundamentalism that comes about in that strain of thinking where it's like, oh, well, if this all literally has to be just like, if, if Christianity has to look like white nationalism, then then sure, I throw all yeah. Christianity away. Well, it's like, no, you're just mis you're misunderstanding you're 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 fundamentalizing Christianity, you know, in the same way that a fundamentalist Christian would. And it's like you gotta you have to think outside the box a little bit. Read the early church fathers, how they read the scriptures, how they understood how we interact socially and politically. And like that's the sort of stuff that's really helped me. It's like I I can't, you can't fight fundamentalism with fundamentalism. It just doesn't work. You could try. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what happens is people sort of like throw away the beliefs without throwing away the system. And that's kind of what happens, right? You just sort of end up in a different kind of fundamentalism and because it's like, it's easy. It is, it feels good to feel certain about something a hundred percent. I wish that I felt certain about more things in my life. I don't. Um, I just, Mm -hmm. I have some ideas that I feel strongly about and have a lot of humility about where those might go. And so sort of the third path I talk about is disentangling where you just sort of like, you're trying to pull apart the pieces, right? Like what is, um, it's something Mm -hmm. I said on Instagram yesterday, right? You're trying to figure out what is baby and what is bathwater because people are like, you're just throwing it all out. You're like, no, I'm trying to figure out what is baby and what is bathwater. Like, what do we keep and what do we, what is optional or needs to be thrown away. Right. And so I think that's part of it. And, and to do that, it means you kind of have to like, you have to be really careful or you have to be, you have to be willing to sort of like sit in the middle of things and not have it all figured out. And, um, Mm -hmm. but you can still keep some core commitments. And so like, I have a manifesto, Um, You can find it on Instagram or on my website. That's just sort of like, these are the core commitments and they're super basic. They're like, you know, orthodoxy and like allegiance to Jesus and no celebrities and like little things that like, it is sort of like reactionary, right? To evangelicalism and the Mm -hmm. brand of it that I grew up in. But at the same time, it's like, these are the core commitments I have. And, and a lot of them can just sort of like be applied to anyone. And then all this other stuff, I'm either figuring it out still, or I hold very loosely because I know I can see how different people come to different conclusions now. And so it does, it's like tense, right? You're in the middle and it's Mm -hmm. very messy because there aren't a lot of, there's, you're going to, yeah, there aren't a lot of boxes to fit in or check off anymore. That's not a thing that exists. Mm -hmm in your brain anymore. They're just sort of, I call it like boundaries, not boxes. So like 
these are the yeah. boundaries that I have established for myself as I'm figuring this out and that feel good to me in this season. But everything else is sort of like up for examination. And maybe eventually that boundary will like expand or shrink however you need it to go. But, you know, having like an anchor point. So that's sort of what the messy middle is, is just like this willingness to sit in that discomfort and that tension um, have like a foundation that you're standing on, but allowing other things to sort of like fall down around you. And, and it's hard, but being okay with that process taking place. Being okay with mystery. And Mm -hmm. I think what inevitably happens too, and because I've experienced myself and I've seen it so many times is like, oh, okay, you grew up on this side of the pendulum. Now you're going to swing all the way this way. Oh, wait, no, that doesn't work. Now now you're going to go back. Oh, wait, maybe it's somewhere. You kind of find that sweet spot where where at least there's the least tension maybe. And at least least you can can, um, kind of corroborate your experience with what you understand and what you know, but then also recognizing there's a lot of mystery of things that you don't you just don't know and you can't know. And, and, and that's good that you don't know it because you're not God, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I even think like, for me, even about some of those mysterious things, I have, I have opinions on what I think they might be, what my convictions Mm -hmm. are around those things. But I also know that, you know, everyone else is, and that's, what's kind of funny about some of these things, whether it's like baptism or women or whatever, there's like, (laughs) we're all sort of like using the same texts, but in different ways to come to different conclusions. And it's yeah. like, well, if that can happen. Then who even knows what it is? How are, we, how do we even come to this? Mm. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. So for me, it's been much more about humility and curiosity as like habits that I'm cultivating over anything else, because I think that opens up a lot more space for dialogue but it also opens a lot more space for me to explore and to understand other people and perspectives. Um, and even just like, you know, maybe even circle back to what I still hold, you know, at, in the, in the end, but at least know that I did some due diligence to get there. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I, I like that. When I talked to Brad Jerzak, he talked about um, arsonists, people who, <laughs> just want to burn burn it all to the ground and it's like well you have people who are already hurting and then you just want to burn it down well you're just gonna you're just causing more pain in that sense but then i guess but then there's a there's a willing there's an unwillingness to to recognize and and i like this this idea um the idea of like not letting the paint dry uh, not 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 the paint but don't let the uh, concrete dry you know um Mm. There are some topics where the concrete is set, I think, but then there's some th- topics where the concrete is not, it's not dry yet. Keep it wet. It's still, it's still in the process of being formed into its final, until it's telos, you know, it's telos, mm-hmm. it's final form. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and I know that people are like, well, you shouldn't let the culture inform things, but I, I do think there is an extent to which the evolution of culture does help guide some of the ways that we look at and interpret issues, you know, and women is among those, right? Like, and all that stuff. But I think that's, um, it's, I, I like that illustration. Yeah. That sometimes, you know, the concrete isn't meant to be set yet. (laughs) And I I don't know that it will be in a lot of things and until, 
until restoration when everything is set right and we don't have to worry about any of it anymore you know yeah and then at that point we'll just we'll infinitely be growing into into the likeness of god into into eternity but that's another discussion <laughs> um yeah so so tell me more about so you're here here you are but how the heck did you get here you know um after you went on that trip what did what happened from there well I went on a lot of trips and um it really just sort of was a lot of quiet processing mostly in like in my head in my mind just unpacking my thoughts all the time um I'm an internal processor so I wasn't really like and until I sort of have landed somewhere, I'm not usually comfortable talking about stuff. And so, um, yeah, it, it was just a lot of like sorting through things and trying things on and looking at different stuff and, and, you know, something shifted. I don't think anything shifted by like huge degrees. That doesn't, I mean, not to me, I think some people would say that it would, it sort of depends on where you are on the spectrum, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> But like, as I sort of like, like you were saying, I looked at history, um, Christian history is very interesting. The history of doctrines and ideas is very interesting. I looked at a whole bunch of like different doctrinal statements, um, because I'm a nerd like that. And we'll just like read, you know, everybody's, everybody's doctrinal statements. Um, <clears throat> you know, I obviously studied the Bible. I had a lot of talks with a lot of different people, with a lot of different opinions, and, you know, a lot of it's what stayed hazy for a long time. And then some of slowly, you know, things would sort of like snap a little bit into place, um, at least theologically. Eventually, like everyone else, I went through sort of the same social upheaval that was much later for me than a lot of the belief stuff that was happening. Um, and yeah. And that was really rough. I would say that was probably much harder than like the shifting of beliefs was sort of the shifting of, of my culture and my community. Um, rather I had shifted and I didn't realize that nobody else had, and then everything happened. You're like, Oh, okay. This is where we are. Cool. Got it. Um, but I'm not comfortable there anymore. So I would say like in the last few years, I've been sort of dealing with a lot of the same stuff that everybody else has just from maybe a different, uh, yeah, maybe a different spot. Cause only a little bit of that is happening for me as opposed to like everything happening at once. Um, but I mean, it, we, we ended up leaving our church, um, a little over probably a year and a half ago. Um, we fortunately found one that we loved pretty quickly, relatively, um, and so, yeah, we've just sort of like been in a place of building new relationships and building new community and figuring that out. And then it just sort of happened that as all of that was happening, I just sort of knew, I realized that I could, because I'd been processing stuff for so much longer than a lot of people have in the last few years that I had words to put to some of the things that people were feeling already or feeling now, but they hadn't been to that part. And I think that's why stuff like Instagram or Twitter um, grew or how people found me was just kind of like being able to say the things that they weren't able to say, hadn't figured out exactly what it was or pinpointed yet. 
Um, and I think we're sort of like getting through, I really think what a lot of us are going through, it's sort of like the stages of grief, you know, the last few years we've had, we've been in our angry phase. And I think people are now trying to like move into that sort of like, it's the sad phase, unfortunately, but, um, are starting to process things in a different way. And so, um, yeah, like you said, I try to sort of have a pastoral ish space to like meet people where they are, but also like nudge them to keep stepping forward and moving forward. Um, even though grief really sucks. Um, I've I've had my fair share of it over the last three years, probably more so. And, um, yeah, and it's hard, but moving through it's, I, I want to say it's worth it. I don't know that it'll feel that way to everyone. And so I don't want to like diminish that experience, but yeah, that's sort of like where I ended up was just sort of realizing that I'm maybe like a step down the road and trying to meet people where they are. So they don't feel alone, but also giving them like tools and resources and, um, you know, ways of keeping on moving down the road as they go. Mm, Nice. Yeah, I I totally can identify with you for sure. Um, did how was it? Do you think it you could have possibly lost your faith at any point? Um, because of the sort of order of operations in my deconstruction, I don't think that was going to happen. Um, because faithful people are what caused me to deconstruct <laughs> in the first place. Whereas I feel like that's sort of the opposite of what happened for everybody else. So I already was pretty set on the Jesus thing. And I was pretty set on, you know, a certain core of beliefs. Um, And so I don't think that was a danger for me. Now, had it happened in the season of social upheaval that everybody else is going through, I think that probably would have been a much more realistic consideration. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting thing to think about because for so many people, that's what their deconstruction is. It mm-hmm. often looks like deconversion or just complete disillusionment where some people, they're able, they lose the church, but they keep Jesus in some way, shape or form. And some people lose it all. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a really difficult place to be in. And, and it's a place where it, like, what I appreciate about what I guess you could call ministry, you know, an online ministry is that like, you're kind of speaking to those people who are, who could either be on their way out or way up, depending on if someone could be there for them, you know? Yeah. And that's really cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, and what do you think are some experiences that you had in your younger years that, that really kind of created this foundation that you could survive deconstruction? I think I was, though I would say I read the Bible very differently than I did, than I learned how to, or that I did growing up. I think having a good set of tools that I was taught in order to approach the Bible was helpful um, because I was able to sort of like lean back on that. Um, I think I, I also have just seen, I think I was just really familiar and committed to Jesus. Like I still think Jesus is the most compelling person and, um, and even, you know, 
deity situation. (laughs) And so I, so I sort of had that foundation and that was kind of like what I was committed to rebuilding on, even if it meant that everything looked, the house looked totally different on the other side, if walls were in different places or whatever, however you want to talk about it, whatever metaphor we're using. And so I think that I had, I was handed a lot of tools. I use them differently. I have different skills with them now, but I'm still sort of like committed to building on that foundation. Um, and I think that was really helpful for me. And that's sort of why I tell everybody else too. I'm like, Hey, I know that it's weird and it's hard and you're feeling all sorts of disoriented, but you know, if you're trying to figure out if this thing is for you, then Jesus is the place to start. So go there, check him out. If you're not into it, then, then, you know, you can make a, you can make a decision at that point. But, um, you know, I just encourage everyone to look at Jesus first, because I think, um, I've, I have yet to be disappointed by the story of Jesus. Um, so for me, that was sort of like the anchor point that I was able to sort of like hang on to for dear life as everything else was sort of like crashing around me. Wow. So it seems like a lot of, a lot of your foundation for your faith, do you feel like it was, it was mostly propositional or intellectual or was there anything other, are there any other experiences that kind of, uh, whether mystical or mundane that kind of, you know, aided in that foundation like for me for example because I grew up in the charismatic movement most of my experience with Christianity was experiential and then Mm -hmm. as I got older I had to fill in the gaps intellectually and and I had the help of a lot of different people from a variety of traditions that helped me with that but um but yeah it was kind of like I don't know why for me and what's interesting too is a lot there's a lot of people who would discourage you counting on emotions, feelings, or experiences, which it's kind of counterintuitive, you know? Yeah. It's Uh, just not how humans work. (laughs) It's not how it's, it's not human. If I was a robot or a computer, sure. That would be great, but I'm a human. And even Jesus wept, you know, (laughs) he felt emotions. Um, Yeah. So often I heard like uh, that Jeremiah passage where it's like the heart is the most deceptive of all things. It can't be trusted. So don't Mm -hmm. trust your emotions. So me wanting to help the poor that I shouldn't trust that emotion. I, like I should be caring about them now. Let the world do that. That we're here to preach the gospel and save souls. Yeah, exactly. That, Just preach the I gospel. Heard. That's yeah. what I heard. No. And I would say my experience was very much the same. I, I sort of, you sort of came up in an experiential emotional space. I came up in a very intellectual space. And so for me, everything was very like, these are the things we believe and that's what makes you a Christian. And that's mostly what matters is like what you believe. And so I actually went through like this phase in junior high. Like I came to Christ when I was a kid, um, I think. (laughs) And, And in junior high, I just went through so much like, like everyone else I know did sort of have like emotional salvation experiences. I couldn't even remember mine. My mom was just like, we just kind of knew. And I was like, okay, that's not helpful. Um, so I sort of like felt like I was always sort of like trying to prove my salvation with how much I knew. Um, and that was very much like encouraged, like in the tradition, it was a lot of like knowing things like whether that's memory verses or like doctrines or like how to study the Bible or whatever. 
that was very much like what I grew up in. And, um, so yeah, I sort of like got hit over the head by this sort of like extraordinary sacrifice and service that I was seeing overseas or meeting people that miracles actually happened to, or talking to, you know, former Muslims that for whom they'd never really heard about Jesus in the Christian context. Obviously he's a prophet in the, in the Muslim faith, but in Islam, but, um, they like saw Jesus in a dream and came to faith. Like these are the stories and that I would hear, whether it was from the people themselves or just like from the missionaries that I worked around. And you really sort of have to like, I don't know, there's a lot of things that you have to sort of like, like expand for experience And I think that was helpful for me because then I was sort of shown that it's okay to consider those things. Um, And so now I really, like, I really love the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I don't know if you know what that is, but I'm like obsessed with it. So it's like scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And I think those four things are really helpful, whether that's in reading scripture or even sort of like approaching how we think about our lives and our faith um, and even how those things come together that um, having all of those tools work together and all of those filters on everything rather than just relying on like what I can, I can like intellectually recite from the Bible, you know? Or just like what's one, this person's um, interpretation of this, of the scriptures or. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially right. What I was doing. I I wasn't actually like saying my beliefs. I was just saying what other people told me. And so I was like, okay, cool. They seem to know what they're talking about. (laughs) Exactly. And, and I find myself doing that so often. Well, N.T. Wright says this and uh, Greg Boyd says this and, you know, whoever, I don't know. John McCarthy. Well, and not, I think no, no, I think that's okay because that's part of how we do that's part of how we do faith and community, right? Is learning from a bunch of different people. So I don't think it's like wrong to quote other people, but I think it is um I think exposing ourselves to a wide variety of people is helpful in the work so that we can kind of like even get a sense of the range and get a sense of um where we land and e- and knowing even people that you don't agree with what they say. Um, but some of those people like N.T. Wright, who is, I think, still pretty cons- like fairly conservative. Um, he was a big step for me, like in a lot of different things, like some of this like wholeness stuff and like new creation, like all uh. that stuff was sort of born out of his work. And that was a huge step in my faith. And it doesn't look that big on paper, but for where I was, that was really big. And so, um, yeah, so I don't think it's like, I think we can rely on guides to help us. I do caution against like seeking out gatekeepers. I think we sort of like you were talking about fundamentalism. We kind of like keep wanting to seek people who are certain about stuff. And that lands us in a lot of trouble because there's not a lot of certainty as it turns out in a lot of things. Yeah. And so, because we want to sort of like be in the gates, we want to know where the lines are. And so we sort of seek out those other people sometimes. And so I'd rather less like let people guide you down different paths and figure out which path makes sense for you. Mm, Yeah. Wow. A lot of great stuff in there. Um, Was there any, are there any things that you held tightly or, or where you thought that the concrete was dry, but it's not anymore? Um, so I would say where it's dry 
well, I don't know if there's a thing that where it's not dry anymore. I'm still pretty much like a, I'm like a, like things that, things that like when you were younger, you were, you thought you were certain of, but now you you don't feel like it's as certain or you feel like like all these more diversity of opinion. Yeah. All these like second and third tier things, like how we should baptize or what happens at communion. Right. Mm -hmm. Or or even whether or not women are allowed to speak mm-hmm. in church, like stuff like that. Um, you know, I like as a pretty much Baptist person, I used to argue with my friends who were Methodist <laughs> at mm-hmm. um in college about like baptizing, or even like one of my friends, oh, this is so cringe. One of my friends, <laughs> her they were Methodist and her mom was a pastor, and I was like, she can't do that. <laughs> it was so <laughs> terrible. Um, which is hilarious because now I'm in a Methodist church, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just one of those things where I was like, I was pretty sure that I knew all of those things. And now I'm either in a different place about them, or I understand how people got to where they got. And, um, even if I don't agree, you know, I don't think it's a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I'm able to sort of be like, yeah, okay, cool. I get that. Hmm. Nice. You know, and sometimes that drives people crazy. They just yeah. want me to argue with them. I'm like, no, I get it. I don't know what to tell you. It's not where I am, but I understand. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I know. And I'm, a, I'm one of those people that would, would love to debate someone on something, but I've had to change my tune and be like, you know what? That's one way of looking at it. And yeah. And you're not necessarily wrong. I think that when you come at it from that angle, it actually it helps me to think differently, you know, and and that's kind of, I think that's kind of like some of the language that can really be helpful to in dialogue, but also just like mentally in our brains, don't stress over it too much. You know, you don't have yeah. to be right about everything. Totally. And that's sort of like my go-to response is always like, I respect that you have a different conviction um, because I, I do, I respect that they did that and that that's the heritage that they have, or that's the belief that they hold or whatever that looks like for them. Um, and I respect that they're standing up for it. Like, I get that. I stand up for mine too, when I'm confronted, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, for stuff like that, it's not important for me. Now, if we start talking about things like you were talking about, like caring for the poor, like that stuff mm-hmm. seems very obvious as a priority for God. And so stuff like that, when it comes to like some justice, stuff or like Mm. maybe maybe some more like fundamental orthodoxy things I might get a little bit more solid on um but even that I feel like people draw lines in different places so the resurrection and stuff like that where yeah and even that I'm like okay that's a that's a that's a I mean everyone's entitled right like I'm not gonna Mm. I'm not gonna try to argue someone out of their opinion but I do definitely hold those probably more tightly than some of those other things where I'm like, eh, I mean, okay. Like as long as you're cool about it, <laughs> then we're fine. Yeah. Also, also I think from a, from a fundamentalist background too, you kind of have this fear that, oh, if I think the wrong thing about God, then he's going to, he's going to blame me for it. as, as if there's like this test, at the end mm-hmm. where God's gonna be like, I just, whatever the test is, I just hope it's multiple choice, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I would say that's probably a big shift too is now I sort of trust the character of God in a way that I didn't mm. before because I thought I had to do everything mm. and get it just right. And so now I'm like, you know, I trust that God does see my heart. He does see that I'm trying 
and that I'm doing my best to be faithful and live in integrity with my convictions. Mm. And I trust that he's going to honor that even if I'm wrong about it. Um, I have a conversation with a Unitarian and it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll disagree with them. I think it's pretty, you know, but I like I, one conversation with me is not going to change their minds. And so I'd rather dialogue about it Uh than, than try to argue with them about it. And I think that's been a big, definitely a big change from like high school, college me. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I used even, even maybe five, six years ago, I'd get heated about topics and now I'm just like, you know what? Yeah. Not so much. It's fine. Well, and I think too, that comes with like a confidence in my conviction. Like Uh I feel really good about where I am. So I don't feel the need to convince everyone else Mm -hmm. because I'm not insecure about it anymore. Yeah. It definitely is an insecurity thing. Yeah. And also like you need to see it my way or, or there's, there's going to be consequences, you know? And yeah, it's really narcissistic too. Unfortunately, It can be, yeah. Can be, (laughs) but, but yeah, I mean, so you have, you have, is your, you have a book out? It's coming out in April. Oh, okay. So you gave me a little sneak peek. Yeah, so it's available for pre-order. You know, you can go ahead and buy it. It's called An Untidy Faith. Okay. Untidy. Mm -hmm. Where'd that title come from? Well, it's sort of the messy middle and untidy faith sort of came to fruition at the same time, like whenever I put those together. So my newsletter that I send out every month is actually called Untidy Faith. Um, and so we sort of picked up for, from that for the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I um, will have to step out yeah. in a couple of oh, minutes. Yeah, that's fine. So if, if there's anything else you want to like wrap up with. No, no. I, I was just going to talk about where th- people can find you. Oh and yeah, cool. And I'll, I'll definitely, you know, feel free to add, send me some uh, links that I can put in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I'm on. Let's see, I'm on Instagram at kateboy.co. Um, that's probably where I am the most. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me Good on content. Twitter. Yeah, you can nice find me reels. on Twitter at the Kate Boyd. Yeah, lots of reels. Um, <clears throat> Twitter, the Kate Boyd. You can find my website, kateboyd.co. And from there, there's links to my newsletter and everything else. And then you can learn more about my book at anuntidyfaith.com. And you can you know, read the blurb and, you know, even head off to your favorite retailer from there to pre-order if you are so inclined. Wow. So it's going to be out in the stores. Hopefully. Yeah. If I get enough pre-orders, maybe stores will want it. So that's awesome. <laughs> we're hoping so. Well, I'll, I'll get the word out to my 50 listeners. <laughs> hey, no. everybody you counts. Know, absolutely. Everybody counts for sure. No, I'm, yeah. I'm in a corner. This is a corner of the internet where and these people matter too. totally and I think in a way that's more special because these are like the people um that really resonate with what you're doing and you know that you get to serve them before because the bigger it gets the harder it gets to figure that out sometimes and so to get to do that when it's like small and intimate is nice yeah I was gonna I was gonna ask you about the the future of the church but I think that kind of answers the questions I think the future of the church is going to be smaller same We yeah. can do a different episode about that because I have a lot to say. On okay, well, I'll keep that in mind then. Yeah. I think Kate Boyd will be back on The Fellow Traveler then. <sighs> well, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, and thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Lord, Lord, the name.
I'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust <laughs>